Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. All right. Well, good morning. How? Thank you. Thank you. Only one response. The worst. Now, how is everyone doing? Everyone's enjoying uh, the last, I guess it's like the last day of spring break, right? That's, that's the way it is for a lot of our community. Um, and for those of us that aren't teachers, happy Sunday. It's <laughs> just another day in the week. <laughs> but I love it that we uh, get to gather together. We are in the final week of our series on forgiveness that we're calling The F Word. And it's been a great conversation that we've been having, uh, dealing with real conversations of hurts, of moving through it, how do we respond to it, what is our natural feeling when we experience it, and the invitation that Jesus gives to us in how we respond with forgiveness. And so week one, we did this conversation around the idea of what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness isn't a feeling, forgiveness isn't forgetting, and forgiveness isn't for them. And how forgiveness is actually a decision that we make to begin a process of moving forward. That it's not going to just happen instantaneously, but we're invited into considering what would our lives look if we actually involve forgiveness in the conversation. Week two, we talked about, uh, we talked about, what did we talk about? I'm completely blanking. (laughs) Uh, we talked about unforgiveness and unforgiveness that we carry for ourselves and for others, for God, and how that is such a disastrous part of our relationships. But the most beautiful part of community, and maybe the key to community, is forgiveness. And if there is any kryptonite, it is unforgiveness. So how do we deal with that? And then last week we talked about revenge and how we desire for a world that is fair. And so when we get hurt, we want to hurt other people. But in reality, we're responding to a situation from the hurt we've experienced. So it's always justice plus one. Now, this week, We're going to be wrapping up our series with a conversation around the idea of boundaries. And so uh, I'm excited to get into this. We're calling it Backhands and Boundaries. I'm going to pray and we'll get right into it. So Jesus, thank you for this morning and for your word. Thank you for the idea of forgiveness is shown so clearly through you, not just through your words, but through your actions and through your invitations that you give to us. I pray that our hearts are open to that invitation this morning, that we would not just hear our thoughts and and just let it pass through, but it would be something that would take root in our hearts to actually engage with real moments in our lives. Would you teach us about our limits this morning so that we might become generous sources of compassion and grace that you've designed us to be? We're so grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to jump right into the scripture. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, verses 37 to 41. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. It's an important passage in scripture, but this one in particular is uh, something I'm excited to engage with this morning. So it says this, starting in verse 37. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And we'll stop there. So so I read this passage, and and the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is that, cool, Jesus, that, that, that sounds great. That sounds like a really nice thing to go into, but... 
first of all, that doesn't seem very fair. And it's clear that Jesus has never seen how hard some people slap. Uh, did you know that there is a thing called a slapping competition? As in, just this past month, there were grown men who were gathered for the 2019 Russian Slapping Championship to fight for the grand prize of 30,000 rubles, a.k.a. 480 U.S. dollars. And this wasn't the early 1900s. This wasn't the 70s where a lot of weird stuff happened. This was 10 days ago in Siberia where men went for over two hours slapping each other till they were unconscious and one remained, elimination style. Now, this is a photo of the condition. I think we have it. Photo? No, no photo of this. Oh, that's too bad. There's a photo of the condition of one of the participants after said event where he lost. But did he really? Because there's, he's got like white skin on one side of his face and just red on the other. It's incredible. It's a great photo. And it's funny, there's a video of this slapping championship and the announcer or the, the referee gets to the front and he like has them like tap hands and they look at each other and he's like, I want you to keep it friendly. And then he turns to the crowd and he's like, if you cheer louder, they slap harder. It's like that, that doesn't, doesn't fit. But like, it's, it's an odd thing that we do. Anyways, slapping is just like one of those dramatic things that we... Uh, that we have and we think about and it's, it doesn't feel normal, but we do it. It's like those Bollywood movie moments where you have like lightning in the background and the son approaches the father and then in perfect timing as the thunder strikes, so does the father's hand across the son's face and it's dramatic. And then the music sequence starts and they start to sing and dance about their conflict. It's dramatic and it feels that way. Slapping feels odd. Slapping feels dramatic. Uh, and, and, and even like for myself, I, I don't really comprehend the idea of like fighting. I, I don't think that I'm much of a fighter. If I'm not, I, I don't think I know I'm not <laughs> much of a fighter. There was like one situation, elementary school, I had uh, a bully kind of come up and say, I, I want you to meet me on the playground after school. I don't know what his deal was, but he wanted to fight me after school. I did not want to fight him. This little brown boy got glasses, braces, got the works. Got, got the full shindig happening, and so I make a decision. I'm just going to have my friends hang out with me. And so I told my friends what was going on, and 20 of us went out on the playground after school and met him, and he did not come and fight me. It was a great moment. But that is kind of how I deal with conflict. I was like, I'm not going to actually fight you. I'm going to find a way to avoid this idea of conflict. So the idea that Jesus is presenting of, like, slap one cheek and then let him slap the other— feels odd. feels really, really weird. But my true response to this passage on, on first glance is I find this idea that Jesus is presenting incredibly problematic because I, I get that Jesus wants us to be nice to people, but this is the question I have that kind of comes out of it. Are we supposed to let people who have hurt us keep hurting us? And it, it seems to run in complete opposition to even, like, the idea of boundaries. Is, is Jesus saying that you should let people perpetually hurt you? And so for some of you, you might have heard this language before, uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But this is what we're going to get right into. So Jesus starts 
with one of his most like famous phrases when he says that you have heard it said. Now he's not just referring to a common phrase or to something that is common sense in society. He's actually quoting scripture because in the Old Testament it talks about this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It says it in Exodus, 19, uh, Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. It says that very specifically. And this wasn't isolated to the Jewish culture. This was normal in ancient times. Now, uh, this practice kind of sounds barbaric, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but in reality, it wasn't actually advocating for revenge. It was actually meant to limit the escalation of revenge. It was, it was saying that you want to do something only up to a point to make it fair. And if you look at some of the writings within the Old Testament or from like Jewish scholars, it was meant to actually determine how much was owed in a situation so that it was equivalent, so an eye for an eye. And it sounds like it was always figurative and not always literal. Like there's no record of anyone anywhere of, at least I know of, of like Jews running around poking each other's eyes out. It's like it, it wasn't functioning like that. And it sounds odd, perhaps, but to be honest, I think it's actually pretty normal in how we think and we, how we approach life today. Uh, even how we deal with uh, insurance. And I know ICBC has its issues, but the way that it works with insurance is that you have an evaluator come and figure out how much damage was done, and then you are paid an equivalent amount, and etc. Like, that's just how it functions, that you get the appropriate amount according to the damage that was caused. So the question that an eye for an eye is actually trying to answer is what do I need to be made whole in order to move on in life? And that's what, it's, that's what it's actually saying in the Old Testament. So an eye for an eye is not a barbaric an idea as it seems, but more importantly, it was never designed to actually endorse revenge as the way we operate. It was more about awareness and it was a desire to limit idea of revenge. But, so Jesus says, uh, you've heard this idea, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Great. And then Jesus comes with his limitless forgiveness that he has for us. And he invites us into something that's completely different. And he's not just interested in stopping revenge and stopping the damage that it causes. He's actually looking to reverse the damage that it causes. So he gets up and he says, an eye for an eye, and that's what you believe is best, but I want to suggest to you that there is something better. And this is what Jesus thinks is better. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, show them your left. If anyone sues you to take your tunic, give them your overcoat. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, go too. And, and I read this story, and I picture Jesus kind of standing there and saying it, and I kind of picture him like that guy that's got abs that's like, punch me again. It's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt. And I'm over here, I'm like, I don't got abs, Jesus. I can't take that hit again. How is this actually supposed to function? Because it feels like Jesus is almost calling us to this doormat spirituality. As if we're supposed to have no backbone no strength, no fierceness. But that doesn't seem congruent with the rest of the story of Jesus. And I don't think that's what's going on. 
So can you help me with something? Uh, I want you to find someone beside you that you would really think would be awesome to slap at some time. And I want you to just look at them really carefully. Uh, your decision. Make a choice. <laughs> Everyone's like, don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. All right, you've got your person. So there's this scholar named Walter Wink, and he brings some context to this passage from the ancient world. And you see, when we're talking about turning your cheek, this is, this is how it works. In the ancient world, you always interacted with your right hand. And the gory details of that is that with your left hand, you would use when you went to the restroom. So that's why it was a big deal that when you sat with someone at the table, the right hand, the left hand, it, it was a significant piece for that reason. So if you were to imagine facing someone, when it's saying to, that they're gonna be struck on the right cheek, they would be doing so with a right hand. Now, I want you to turn towards the person that you thought about slapping. And so if you were to slap them with your right hand on their right cheek, how would your hand hit them? You'd hit them with the back hand. And that's significant. You wouldn't simply strike them with the front of your hand, you would strike them with the back of your hand. Because if they turn their cheek away from you and give them your left cheek, what option do they leave open to you? You have to be struck with an open hand. What this is meant to teach us is that it's not a question of how hard you can hit someone. It's not a question of winning the 2019 slapping championship. This is a question of social status. This is a question of dignity and respect. Because if in that culture, if you were to strike someone with the back of your hand, you would only do that to a slave. But if you were to strike someone with your palm, it was to call them a son. So Jesus is saying, that when people, this is not saying specifically, turn your cheek so you get slapped a second time. He's trying to teach us that when society and when you have moments where you are degraded, where you are pushed to a place of lower status, I want you to fight for yourself. But in a way that is not violent, but in a way that holds on to respect for yourself. is meant to put you in the same social caste. So turning your left cheek is saying, I won't fight you, but I'm not gonna let you rob me of my dignity by your action, and I demand actually that you see me as an equal, as a human being. And we have this like deeply instinctual response to conflict. We have fight or flight, and what Jesus is doing in this situation, he's, he's saying fight or flight is great, but I wanna give you a third option. I want to give you a third avenue in which you can deal with conflict, and it's non-violent action, non-violent resistance. It's about having some Aretha Franklin and some R-E-S-P-E-C-T for yourself. That in conflict, the thing that often you feel is different than what is actually happening. You might feel hurt, but what is also happening is that it is robbing you of respect in that moment. That when someone treats you in an 
unhealthy manner, it can happen in a variety of different ways. And the three different situation that, situations that Jesus outlines are three ways in which conflict can actually rob you of who you are and who God wants you to understand you are. The idea of, of the cheek and turning the other cheek is around the idea of degradation, that you're lowering a social status. Now, the idea of uh, a tunic and an overcoat. Now, this isn't the idea of, I'm just going to take, take your shirt. The, the tunic was actually, uh, in ancient times, like someone's underwear. So this is ridiculous. It's saying that if someone sues you for your underwear, which is so ridiculous, just give them your overcoat as well. Because this is not a story about whether you want to be naked in public. This is a story of if someone tries to humiliate you, Make sure that they realize that their actions do not own you. Fight for yourself. Understand that it is not meant to own you and to take away the dignity that you have. And then the third one of, if, you go, if it tells you to go one mile, go two. Uh, in that time period when Romans occupied the Jewish landscape, the way that it worked is that if you were not a citizen of Rome, you could have Roman soldiers come and they had this concept called impressment and they could tell you to take their bag and carry it for them for a mile. But it was only possible for them to tell that to you if you were different than them. So the concept that Jesus is dealing with is, is degradation, it's humiliation, and then it's discrimination. That you're going to deal with conflict where people are going to treat you poorly simply because you are different than them. And you're going to have to do something, but don't let that own your identity because one of the most powerful things that you carry for yourself is the free will that I've given to you. So decide for yourself what you are doing in that situation. They tell you to go one mile, you go two. Don't let that own you. So this conversation that has been so often advocating for the idea of, of nonviolence but not doing anything, of being passive, of being a doormat, is not what Jesus is actually advocating for. What he is saying is that you have a respect, you have an identity, you have dignity that is God-given. And I want you to fight for that, I want you to own that, and I want you to hold on to that. Because if you don't have those things in your identity, then forgiveness and healing is not possible. Because here's the thing, forgiveness is a nice concept, but if you have no sense of self-respect, if you are robbed of your dignity, if you lack any identity, then forgiveness is not going to be possible. And boundaries are not going to be possible. I think our understanding of boundaries is, is often around the idea of division, of separation, of, of doing things differently in that sense. But boundaries are, are much different than that. You need to believe that you are worth being healthy before you can move towards health. You need to believe that you are worth being healthy before you can move towards health. 
Jesus is saying, I have placed respect and dignity and an identity inside of you. And when people come to take that and rob you of it, I want you to fight for it. I want you to understand that they have no right to it. That you are worth being healthy. So this is what happens in relational conflict. It's, it's difficult to deal with. And often we're unable to establish healthy boundaries in our lives because we don't believe that we're worth it. That we have this narrative in our mind that knows that a boundary would be a good idea in this situation, but we end up coming to this conclusion that, well, it's not that important anyways because I don't really matter. I don't have any value. I don't, I don't have anyone that really cares. I don't have anyone that loves me. And we come to believe these lies that expose us to perpetual abuse, and rob us of the opportunity to experience the healing power of forgiveness. The heart of God towards you is one of unconditional forgiveness that continues to be given despite our failure to deserve it. So if God believes that you are worth being healthy, that you are worth experiencing forgiveness and healing, Perhaps this morning it is time to start believing that for yourself if you want to start move, moving towards forgiveness. And for some of you, you need to hear that this morning. Because just like this audience of, of the Jews that Jesus is speaking to, who have been living under the tyranny of Roman occupation, you have started to believe that you deserve to be treated the way you have been. And Jesus says... You need to know that you are worth more than you have been treated. That there is nothing in forgiveness that means that you need to internalize your hurt as your fault. Forgiveness is how you take back control of what has happened to you. Forgiveness is how you begin to look more like Jesus. But you can't forgive well until you set boundaries. And you'll never set boundaries if you don't have a sense of dignity and identity. Boundaries are not fake walls. They're not separation. They're not division. They are built on self-respect. Brene Brown, she defines boundaries really simply as what is okay and as what isn't. And this is what she says. She says one of the most shocking findings of her research was that the most compassionate people that she interviewed were all also the most boundaried. They had clearly set up what was okay and what wasn't okay. And what we do is we, we don't set boundaries and we let people do things that are not okay and we allow them to continue to do them or say things that are not okay and continue to say them and we simply grow hateful and resentful and bitter when we're actually invited to, to love our enemies. And the verse is right after the one we just read. Jesus invites them to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who abuse you. Does any of that seem possible if all I'm feeling towards someone is bitter, hurt, and resentful? 
that becomes extremely difficult to actually be who Jesus has called us to be until we understand that boundaries actually create space for us to have that environment. Loving those people can seem pretty impossible to start off with. Uh, And this is something that I'm guilty of. Too often, I make the assumption that when someone is being awful to me, that they are choosing to be awful just for the sake of being awful. (laughs) And I make the assumption that people are sucking on purpose just to make me mad. (laughs) Now, whether that's someone that I work with, a family member, someone who's being critical, someone who's being judgy, uh, and I ask myself, why are they choosing these things? Why are they acting this way? And that line of thinking isn't very loving. It isn't very compassionate. Yet, we so often revert to it. And we're good at faking it. We're really good at faking as if we are good with everything that's going on around us. On acting as if your words, they got nothing on me. They don't hurt sticks and stones. Nothing, nothing. It's not going to do anything to me. When in reality, we're experiencing real hurt, and so we hide it. Because Jesus goes through this progression in Luke 6 where he says, Do good to those who hurt you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And if you look at it, if you put them in parallel to one another, he says, Do good to those who hurt you. So that feels very very much like interrelational conflict. It could be interracial too. Bless those who curse you. It's like their words are, are purposely meant to impact you. It, it feels very intentional. And it says, pray for those who abuse you. And this, in, in the original language, is, is a present verb. And it means that they're not just abusing you before, that they are currently abusing you. So Jesus is saying that you need to pray for them while they are hurting you. And then the line of thinking that he provides on the the good side is he says, do good, bless, and pray. And pray seems like a really abstract concept, but what is easier, to do good for someone that has mistreated you or to believe the very best about the person and hope for their very best in their life? I would say the second one is much tougher. And I would say that because I am human. And it's easy to do something nice for someone, but it is so difficult to actually wish wish the best for their life. But that is what we are being invited into when Jesus says, pray for those who abuse you. And again, this seems near impossible. (laughs) But this is where boundaries are needed. Because if, if instead of believing that people are choosing to act or speak a certain way just to make you mad, what if you were to believe that people were actually doing the best they can? Let me say that again. That instead of believing that people are choosing to act or speak a certain way just to make you mad, what if you were to believe that people are actually doing the best they can? And here's the thing. Here's the reality of it. You'll never really know if they're doing the best that they can. 
But when I assume that they are, it makes your life better. And it moves you towards forgiveness. And it makes you into big people. Jesus wants us to be big people. He's he's building big people through his grace and his forgiveness. Because when you encounter grace and when you encounter forgiveness, it transforms the way that you perceive and the way that you view and the way that you interact with the world. True grace and a true encounter with it doesn't leave you the same. It always changes us. It always moves us. Brene Brown, she uses this acronym for big when talking about boundaries. And she says this, she asks this question, what boundaries need to be in place for me to stay in my integrity and make the most generous assumptions about others? What boundaries need to be in place in order for me to stay in my integrity and make the most generous assumptions about others? It almost seems counterintuitive, the idea of putting boundaries around yourself to be a big person. But it's just like one of our values as a church, that creativity happens within constraints. Boundaries are the means in which we create space for forgiveness to take place. We need boundaries in our life if we're actually going to be able to have the ability to forgive others. But we don't like setting boundaries because we are more concerned with how people think about us and we don't want to disappoint them and we want people to like us and we want everyone to be our best friend and boundaries aren't easy but they are the key to self-love and the key to experiencing the power of forgiveness because nothing is sustainable without boundaries. Empathy minus boundaries isn't helpful. Compassion minus boundaries isn't genuine. Vulnerability minus boundaries isn't honest. And Jesus' life even represented this, this push towards boundaries to actually live out these different areas. He does it in a really practical way. In his humanity, he did practical things like he ate healthy and he got sleep he needed. He even took naps and he took time to relax and he did a ton of walking. And he sought the company of friends and he took moments of solitude and he enjoyed the moments and he didn't live a hurried pace of life practical boundaries that even that I need to think for myself. When do I answer my email? How many hours of the day am I spending on social media? And those are important. And if those practical elements of our life are important, can we even imagine how much more important relational boundaries are for our personal health? Because if you don't know how to limit someone else's access to you and you don't know how to say no, it can't go back that way at least for right now, if you can't say I love you but you are unhealthy and I can't afford for you to be accessing the deepest parts of my soul, if you keep yourself stuck in perpetual cycles of hurt, that pain will eventually seem like it is part of you. And if that happens, you won't pray for the person who's abusing you or say nice things about the person that's cursing you or do good things for the person who hates you. And that means that we won't ever let go of pain, which means that we'll carry around the hurts with us forever and we give power away and we're allowing hurt to live rent-free in our brains, preventing us from experiencing that healing power of forgiveness. 
Forgiveness releases us. It transforms us. It, it changes us. It creates space. Boundaries do. And, there, and it enables us to forgive. So if you struggle with unforgiveness, and there are areas of hurt in your life, Areas that you know you haven't really let go of, that you've kind of pushed it away. And you've said, I've set a boundary on that. And it's not really a healthy boundary because it's all about separation for you. You're just distancing yourself from it, but you haven't actually created space for forgiveness to come from it. Are your boundaries in place in your life simply for you to forget or are they in place for you to forgive? I think we need to understand that boundaries are not simply to just separate us from a bad situation. They are meant for us to experience healing from how the situation has harmed us. So do you have boundaries? Are they life-giving? Do they pour into the best parts of your life? Are they in place so you can avoid and escape? Or are they in place to create space for you to heal and forgive? Because that's one of the primary mistakes we make. Like I said, we treat boundaries as this escape method. But boundaries are not about closing yourself off. They're about choosing where you are opening yourself up. And I love how Jesus leads us to this place that he says, I want you to fight for the respect and dignity and identity that I have placed inside of you. I don't want you to lose that in those moments of conflict. I want you to understand who I see you as, as a child of God, as someone that is beloved, someone that is forgiven, and someone that has love poured upon them. I want you to fight for that. But I want you to also understand that when someone is hurting you, the response of your life when it is centered upon forgiveness is different than you are used to. To do good, to bless, and to pray. And the only way you can truly to do that is experience forgiveness, and forgiveness takes place when we have healthy boundaries in our life. And you're not going to make everyone happy when you have boundaries in your life. Did you know that? You are not going to be everyone's best friend when you have healthy boundaries in your life. You might not seem as nice of an individual, but I guarantee you, you will be a more loving one. You will be a more compassionate one. You will be a more joyful one. Boundaries create space for forgiveness to take place. But I love the fact that forgiveness doesn't just end with me. It always extends to the people around me. When Jesus gets to the cross, there's a passage in Mark, Mark 15, verse 39. And it says, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that he was in this way, or saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. How did he breathe his last? What was the manner in which Jesus breathed his last moments? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And maybe the greatest example 
in the history of mankind of what a generous assumption looks like, he says, they do not know what they do. Beaten, bloodied, sent to his death, mocked, spit on, undeserved, and yet he has the most generous assumption in that moment about humanity and says they don't know what they do. Forgive them. And forgiveness pours out of Jesus in that moment. And then the centurion who's in front of that cross, part of the group that was beating the nails into his hands and feet, part of the group that was mocking him, part of the group that was casting lots for his his items, part of the group that was putting the crown of thorns on his head, part of society that had already written off Jesus, part of a culture that didn't care much about this rabbi, he, he has no reason to, but when he sees forgiveness in the last breath of Jesus, he knows in that moment that this is the Son of God. Because this is what forgiveness does. Forgiveness doesn't just change you, it changes the people around you. Forgiveness didn't just impact Jesus in that moment or just the world around him, it specifically went at the centurion that had made every mistake in that moment. That he did not deserve forgiveness, but yet he realized forgiveness was given to him. And his response was to embrace this truth and this grace that was in the person of Jesus in that moment. This incredible gift of forgiveness that we are given When we embrace it, it doesn't just end with you. It's not just for you. It's amazing what God gives to you, but he also gives through you. And he does it over and over and over again. What would happen if we were a people who embraced forgiveness, that actually set healthy boundaries so that we could experience forgiveness in situations that we never thought possible, that we could have feeling in moments, healing in moments that would make us believe that there is a God that actually loves us. So often that we, we make it so difficult on ourselves to actually experience forgiveness because we're just standing in the midst of our struggle and we're saying, why am I not kind to people? Why don't I get it yet? And I think one of the most practical things that we can do is set boundaries. Because when we have forgiveness in our lives, it doesn't just change us, it changes the people around us. So my prayer for you today, as we close this conversation, is we're going to take communion to end off uh, this series together. I think it's a beautiful thing that we get to do together, to remember the forgiveness that was given to us and respond. So as we close this conversation, I pray that you recognize that you are worth more than the way that you've been mistreated. Pray that you would reclaim your sense of respect autonomy and dignity through forgiveness and nonviolence without using revenge and bitterness. I pray that you would know healthy boundaries in your life, not simply to protect yourself, but to face the future with a renewed imagination of what is healthy for you. And I pray that the foundation 
of your, of your forgiveness would be knowing that you are already forgiven and that you're invited to live a life from the revelation of his forgiveness for you. You are not defined by your hurts. You are not defined by your mistakes. Your defining moment is when Jesus says it is finished. You are forgiven. May that change our stories. May it lead us to a place of healing. May it challenge us to actually have a hard conversation that we have been avoiding for far too long. And we have given it this authority in our life to dictate our emotional status. Would you close your eyes with me? Is there an area of your life in which unforgiveness has taken root? A relationship that was once great and then something happened and you are still hurting from that. And your way of dealing with it has been to completely disconnect, but every time that name comes around, you have this pit that sinks in your stomach. This immense hurt that rises up. Perhaps it's a friend, perhaps it's a family member, perhaps you are still struggling to forgive yourself. And whenever that situation comes to mind, you feel like the worst person in the world. I pray for you right now that you would experience immense forgiveness in this moment. That when the Father looks at you, he does not see your mistake, he does not see your faults. He sees his beloved child. And he's saying to you, hurt no more. Bring your burdens to me. Cast them upon me. for every person in this room this morning that are battling with these thoughts of unforgiveness and they're carrying this hurt and it's heavy and it's hard and they don't even really want to deal with it in this moment because it hurts too much. I pray you give us courage. And if we are not ready to deal with that directly, help us to take the first steps of reclaiming self-respect, dignity, and identity as we begin to set healthy boundaries so that forgiveness can take place. Thank you, Father, for what you've already worked in so many hearts through the course of this month. I pray that just because the series is ending doesn't mean that the process of forgiveness is. That this is something that unifies us as a, as a community and as individuals. That it draws us closer to what your heart is for us. 
thank you that forgiveness is your idea. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.